Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're about to hear a recording of a live radio program. It's called Indivisible. You can listen live and call in four nights a week on public radio stations around the country or at indivisibleradio.com. You can also join the conversation with hashtag indivisibleradio or leave us a voicemail at indivisibleradio.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Okay, here's the show. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, and on Thursdays, Indivisible comes to you from the studios of Minnesota Public Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Now, each Thursday, I'm taking a look at identity and how our perception of who we are and what we stand for is being shaped by the political division that we're in the midst of. Tonight, what this polarization means to millennials, and and here's why boomers and all the rest of us should care. Americans who are, let's be a little flexible about this, 35 years and under, are the largest generation in the country. And by 2020, they'll be the largest generation of eligible voters. So what they think and what they do matters a lot. But now here's the thing. Millennials see a lot of ways to make social change, and many are deeply disillusioned about politics. When the Bipartisan Policy Center asked millennials about politics a few years ago, 58 percent said they'd rather be involved in their communities than get involved in the political process. And under 15 percent said they ever planned to run for political office. Under 15 percent. So what does that mean for our democracy? And what does it mean to the identity of the generation that's shaping our future? Two guests tonight with some insight on this. And I really hope to hear from a lot of millennials tonight. If you're 35 and under and you voted for President Trump, I'd like to know whether you plan to stay politically involved and what it would take to keep you involved politically. And if you're 35 and under and you supported Secretary Clinton, is your political involvement more now about resisting Trump than it is about other causes? So I want to hear from all spectrums here uh, on on politics. And I especially want to hear from you if you fit into that millennial target. Our phone number, 844-745-8255. You can find me on Twitter, at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use the hashtag, Indivisible Radio. 844-745-8255. Tweet me, at Carrie MPR, hashtag, Indivisible Radio. Derek Feldman is one of our guests. He's the creator of the Millennial Impact Project, and he joins us tonight from WFYI in Indianapolis. Derek, welcome. It's good to have you on the the show. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Kay Kawashima Ginsburg is with us. She's director of the Center for Research on Civic Learning and Engagement at Tufts University. And they've just this week released a new report on millennials and the election. And Kay is with us from WGBH in Boston. Kay, welcome. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. And Kay, you know the reason that I'm asking our millennials in the audience about whether they plan to stay involved in politics, especially if they voted for President Trump, because it's one of the surprising findings of this research. What did you learn about Trump, millennials, and political involvement? 
Thanks for asking. And I should step back and say that we actually tracked the young people from before the election and followed them up after the election. So we can sort of start to see how the young people who were supporting Donald Trump before the election ended up doing, whether they voted, and then whether they um, ended up hoping to be engaged after the election. And what was surprising about that was that although the Trump voters were, so to say, winners and in general should be excited about the future of democracy and in fact, they are more excited about the future of democracy than, say, Clinton voters. Yet they were less likely to say they are more motivated to be politically engaged. So it presented us as with a little bit of a conundrum. Derek, this is surprising because, as Kay says, if you voted for Donald Trump, you've come out of this election with, you know, a perception that you won. What do you think is all about kind of then disengaging from the political process, as we're hearing in, in this report that many are? I think, I think we have to look at what activism is or participatory behavior in the civic process in general and whether or not that's changing. You know, one of the, the findings from our own research is we were trying to understand, are they getting involved politically, but even in social issues and causes, we would start to ask questions around activism, you know, traditional forms of activism. And then when we started to even throw out the word, are you, are you an activist? Immediately, that label of being that kind of person before the election was very negative. Hmm. But now, as we're starting to look at even post-election, we're seeing, well, you know, they, they are actually practicing and doing activism behaviors, but do they see themselves that way? I think that that's an important question that we have to explore and continue to explore. Yeah. And Kay, to follow up on that, I, I want to be clear here that it isn't that these Trump millennials or Clinton millennials, some of whom were disengaged during the election, are not interested in making change, not interested in the common good, the social good. They are. They don't that's right. just necessarily see the political process as the path to that. Yes. That's exactly right. And, you know, what we've found over the last several years is that the millennials are all about making an impact. So sometimes being involved in political process is a path to that. But if it isn't, it's perceived as a slow and perhaps unresponsive system. They have been finding different ways to do that. Let's take some calls. Oh, I'm sorry, Kay. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. You were saying. There are many examples of young people, for example, getting involved in issue-oriented behaviors or, you know, getting involved through social entrepreneurship and protest is really on the rise, for example. All right. So let's take some calls. Let's go to Hannah in uh, Canton, Georgia. Hey, Hannah, tell me a little bit about yourself and welcome. Well, thank you. Uh, Again, my name is Hannah. I'm from a small town in Georgia, Mm -hmm. very Republican. And I voted for Hillary. And after the election, I kind of felt like the way to make a difference was going to be get involved in my community. Okay. I don't think that anything uh, above that scale, I don't see myself making a large impact. So I started going to city hall meetings, writing letters, and being much more aware of what was going on within my own community. And you're in your mid-20s. Is Is that right, Hannah? Yep, I'm 25. And did you, did part of what happened, the fact that Secretary Clinton lost and she was the candidate that you were supporting, cause you Mm -hmm. to kind of reassess what your political involvement would be? Or do you think you would just, no matter what had happened, you'd be involved at the local level? 
Um, I think a little bit of both. Clinton wasn't my ideal choice. I think like a lot of people, it was, okay, vote for Trump or vote for Hillary. And I couldn't really see myself voting for Trump, so I chose to vote for Hillary. And I think regardless of that, I would have gotten involved with my community, but it was more of a push. Like, okay, this is my time. You know, there's a lot going against us, so I need to make my voice heard and to do that, I felt like I needed to start small. So I started within, you know, my own city hall. So glad you heard the call, the, the uh, show here, Hannon had a chance to call. Thank you. Uh, Kay, how does that fit with, with some of the millennials that turn up in your report? No, I think it really fits in. And this is actually Hannah's pointing to another trend, which is that the young people may be actually turned off by the very polarized partisan politics. So they may see, for example, a community engagement through City Hall, which tends to be less partisan, but much more about the immediate relevant issue to their daily life is something that they can have an impact on. And I might add, going to the City Hall is a very, very formal way of becoming politically involved. But as Derek said, they may not see that as necessarily a political act. You know what's interesting about this, Derek, too, is I mean, the process that Hannah is talking about is an incremental and sometimes slow process, right? Maybe you help a candidate get elected to the school board or you get somebody on the city council. You know, you're going to have to wait to see change. I I find it interesting that millennials feel like that kind of an investment will have the payoff, you know, in the amount of time that they want. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And and kind of to further one major thing that we need to understand, that as soon as after the election, Donald Trump, uh, President Trump, started to address major social issues that this generation cares deeply about. You know, if we were going to be talking about things unrelated to certain social issues that the generation tends tends to be interested in, we may not see this kind of activity. But there were certain moves by the administration that also were very, very important social issues to the demographic. Now, in terms of sort of long-term activism, I mean, this is what every environmental organization in the world tries to to do, whether it's now or, or forever, which is to create personal milestones for people to feel as if no matter whatever action they take, change is possible. Right. And I think organizations, especially those at the larger you know, national, international level, have been able to capture that attention and say, you know, when you bring in somebody or when you take that first step moving from a social media post to uh, having your voice heard in some way, shape or form, that matters. And here is how it matters, because your voice combined with others equals this. So that's a very key piece that has to be the outcome of this solution movement environment that millennials definitely desire. Clay says uh, in Chicago, this is something that we as a generation are very interested in, draining the swamp and making it inclusive. Emma says, as a millennial, I see the election as just one more thing and we're going to have to clean it up. Kyle says, 26 feeling like there's a big disconnect between my peers, my values, and the values of the electorate, still engaging in activism, though. And Kay, I wanted to come back to something that Derek was saying about this idea of that that label or that persona of activist is something that millennials feel somewhat ambivalent about. What, what did you hear on that? 
You know, that's an actually interesting trend in general. The young people today are really deeply personal about how they are engaged and what they call themselves. So whenever you throw a label at them, there's a tendency to sort of have them shy away from that. An example is actually the identity as a Democrat. There's been an increasing proportion of young people that identify as liberal Yet fewer and fewer young people since 2008 have been identifying as a Democrat. So once you throw a party label, they start to think, well, I'm not really a Democrat, but I have these ideas that are consistent with socially progressive ideas. So I think in a way it's really consistent with how young people feel really strongly about certain issues and they find a way to be effective, whether it's right in their community or it's about some global issues. But they don't really like to be called as something. Hmm. (laughs) Okay, this is interesting because we have a call, Jerry in Atlanta, Uh, who wants to talk about identification with parties. Uh, Jerry, you're in your early 30s, is that right? Uh, Yeah, that's correct. And and so tell me what you're thinking about being identified with a party. Well, it's it's funny you ask, because um, this election, more than the last few, um, I've watched it uh, really, not really tear my friends and family apart, but it really certainly did create some definite uncomfortable divisions. And the sad thing is, um, if you listen to both of them without getting angry, um, you, re- you just it's like it's kind of like history repeating itself. You find out that they all have more in common than they don't. And um, these, like the other, the other lady is saying, um, you know, when people start putting labels on things, labels aren't inherently evil or wicked, but we just we've been overusing them down to, of course, uh, one of the oldest labels, our political party affiliation. So what I was basically saying earlier was. Um, if we can just start to divorce ourselves, for lack of a better word, um, from these labels so much and so hard in these party lines, um, I, feel, I feel like that's one of the more critical steps in the, getting anywhere regarding policy or anything like that. Yeah. Good for, glad for your call here, Jerry. Derek, this is something I wanted to ask you about, and I wonder how this fits in with what Jerry just said. Your 2016 Millennial Impact Report turned up a lot of apathy and displeasure among millennials about their choices. Uh, in the election. I wonder if some of that is is what Jerry is saying, that the party, the machinery of the party gave us this choice. We felt like we were boxed in. And that led to to the kind of apathy that you were hearing from millennials about. Yeah, it was it was really interesting as we were going through each of the waves because we started the we started the research when there were six Republicans and three Democrats in in the race. And then obviously um, we looked at the post-election as well. And even those that chose not to vote, the common reactions that we would get would be, well, my vote's not even going to matter. It's an electoral college issue. Or choosing a lesser evil is still choosing an evil. That was one of the you know, clear quotes of some qualitative work that we were doing. And even those that voted for Trump would say, or those that even switched from, say, Clinton to Trump, would say, I... I believe in what Clinton is doing, but I also believe that we need better employment and wages and Trump is a better businessman and therefore he might have a better chance than Hillary Clinton. So it was very interesting as we got closer and closer to the election, the change in just trying to understand, you know, do we even care? And now we're just making choices based upon very small very minute kind of things that were happening. At least that's what we discovered. You know, I have to say, Derek, in, in when I looked at the different uh, geographical areas of the country and how that that apathy turned up, I have to say I was surprised to see that the Midwest 
showed up in this sharp decline in reporting vote voter registration near the end of the election. You know, we pride ourselves on high turnout. Minnesota is usually number one or two in the nation. And yet you're seeing these millennials in this part of the country who were saying, you know, it doesn't even matter if I'm registered to vote. Exactly. Yeah. And it was surprising to us because we were also asking along the way, even starting in March, whether or not they were going to vote and, you know, who they would vote for then. And even as they we, we kept going and going, it was interesting to see some of those declines, obviously based upon candidates leaving uh, the field. But also as we got closer to the election, you know, there were some other issues that started to happen, you know, uh, that were coming out, of course, right. that affected that, that made it even worse. But it, it started to decline overall, as we've seen. And then, of course, when we were doing our post-election pieces, it was, uh, you know, these were just not my candidates. I, I want to hear from Matthew here in New York City. Hey, Matthew, you're in your early 20s, yes? Uh, yeah, I'm 23 years old. Thanks for having me on the show tonight. Sure. Tell me what you um, want to say. So yeah. I, I, I was just calling up to say that, you know, I was kind of the odd man growing up. I'm a, uh, I'm a conservative Republican living in New York. Pretty much all my friends are uh, liberal. I went to NYU, one of the most schools, you know, in the country, and uh, worked with the college Republicans there. I was a big Bush supporter while the primaries were going on. But the second Trump came into the arena and uh, got the nomination, you know, I completely lost faith in, um, you know, how primaries were how, um, you know, elections are going, and uh, I ended up voting for Clinton. And you did? Down wow. To, you know, voting for the lesser of two evils. I would have voted for Johnson, but that would have been irrational. So that guy would have booked uh, up the national points to take an election. So Clinton or Trump, Clinton or Trump, I hated both of them, but I ended up just uh, going with the one I hated slightly less, um. Um, you know, Matthew, I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry to say your phone is kind of fading in and out. I think, Kay, did you get the essence of that? He, he felt like he didn't really have much choice. He started out as a Bush supporter, could not support Trump, ended up voting for Clinton, but pretty unhappy with the choices at the end of that. That's right. And unfortunately, I think it happened to a lot of people on both sides of the aisle. There are a number of uh, Bernie Sanders supporters who felt in similar ways, in the same way with the primary voters and supporters of other Republican candidates who then dropped out, who felt as though they really had bad choices and then had to make a choice. But, you know, yet I'm really actually delighted to see that just as many young people seem to have voted in the 2016 election, despite these sense of disappointment, as 2008 and 12. At least that's what we're finding so far. You're listening to Indivisible. I'm Carrie Miller. On Thursday nights, I talk about polarization and American identity. Tonight, we're talking about how Americans who are 35 and under see the value and the use of politics. Stay with us. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. 
of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. This is Indivisible, Public Radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, Indivisible, coming to you tonight from Minnesota Public Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. I talk about identity, and we're zeroing in tonight on millennials, and I'm keeping this a little loose, 35 and under. And we're hearing from our guests uh, tonight that millennials often feel kind of detached from parties, detached from the political process, doesn't mean that they are not interested in making change, in committing to the common good. But they don't necessarily connect that to politics. And we've got two guests who have done a lot of research on this. Kay Kawashima Ginsburg is with us from Tufts University, the uh, Center for Research on Civic Learning and Engagement. They've just released a new report this week on millennials and the election. And Derek Feldman thinks a lot about this and researches this as the creator of the Millennial Impact Project. And he's with us tonight from Indianapolis. And I'm asking you, if you're 35 and under and you voted for President Trump, I'm interested in whether you plan to stay involved because it's turning up in Kay's research that a lot of Trump voters, Trump millennial voters, are kind of disengaging again from politics. What would it take to keep you involved? And if you're 35 and under and you supported Secretary Clinton, is your political involvement more about resisting the president now than it is about other causes? 844-745-8255. Find me on Twitter at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use the hashtag Indivisible Radio. I want to go right back to the phones here to Mark in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Mark, thanks for waiting. You're welcome. <laughs> I, uh, I just want to say that I actually am a – I did vote for Donald Trump. I am a millennial. Mm-hmm. And perhaps one of the sole reasons why was just the coarse ugliness of the culture of 21st century activism. Uh, almost everything from po- from football games to flavors of ice cream has been politicized. And that type of culture is an extreme turnoff to blue-collar millennials. And that's a demographic the... Democratic Party does need to pay attention to because there are many of us that do not have college degrees and are blue collar. And in general, when you work with your hands, it's really hard to take the advice of people with pink hair seriously. Mark, I'm curious, though, as to whether you are, as as some millennials were telling Kay, uh, you know, pulling back from politics. You know, you voted... Maybe you were a little active around helping to get out the vote, and now now you're feeling kind of disengaged about that. Actually, I didn't. Invo- I wasn't involved in getting out the vote at all. I never. I'm not affiliated with any party, and in okay. fact, I'm even considering shredding my uh, my voter registration. The, Why the ugliness? The ugliness of the twenty the 2016 election. It's it's a huge turnoff. The there is a large number of people that were independents and first-time voters that voted for Donald Trump not because they're registered Republican or are necessarily convinced with Republican principles, but it's simply the 
they saw no choice between a kind of pretentious chaos and a blue-collar work ethic. And in the end, Donald Trump, despite you know his background, portrayed himself as more sincere, and he did not talk down to the blue-collar demographic. All right. Good to have your call. Kay, does that resonate with what some of the other millennials were telling you in this report? Absolutely. And this actually traces back to a pre-election survey where we found that the Trump voters were not only less likely to have done a lot of political acts, but also likely to say, we would never under any circumstances do these things. And that actually really resonates with what Carla just said. They were really turned off by the idea that they might become engaged in politics because they're really turned off by sort of the the partisan politics and, like he said, perhaps sort of the active component of that and how they may feel that though their generation as a whole is characterized as progressives who might engage in protests when there are a lot of conservatives and moderate young people who really don't share that view. Derek, I I wonder what that means for the future of this generation's political involvement. I mean, when I hear Mark say, I voted, but I kind of don't even care if I vote again. What's what does that portend? Uh, I, I think it I think this this is also a time to look at who is in the process and who best represents you and the social issues and the political issues that you stand by? I mean, as we were talking earlier, these candidates weren't necessarily the ones that were high on on the list of, of interest. And so I also think that that was very interesting to hear that caller. We heard the same thing in, in our piece, even around blue collar or employment and wages, felt like that social issue, that, that particular thing was being ignored by one complete side. And it was more focused on the progressive activism, minority population interest. And, and that's something we heard in the research and we reported on. And what's also interesting to note is, is that even ones that switched from Clinton to Trump in our studies uh, or remain neutral said, you know, at the end of the day, whether I participate in activism or not, I still want to be paid fairly. I want to do these kinds of things, pay down education debt, all of that, all of those things that I have to live with every day. And some of the candidates on the uh, the candidate Trump was definitely speaking more to them at times than uh, Secretary Clinton. Jesse says on Twitter, I'm with Hannah, huge Sanders supporter, voted for Hillary, then retracted to local community issues and involvement. Mike says, agree with the issue-oriented focus. I'm focusing on systemic issues like election policy, like rank choice voting and campaign finance. You know, Kay, I, I don't want to throw cold water on the issue part of this, but the way you often get issues, you get action on issues is to belong to a party that then prioritizes it in government. I mean, this is connected to government. That's right. And I think sometimes that's where the disconnect, and especially when it comes to non-presidential voters, um, you know, the midterm and local elections Mm -hmm. and city elections, is when the lower turnout really shows up. 
And that's an issue because that's, you know, especially in the local election, that's when young people, anybody that votes, have a huge impact on what happens. And it starts all local and then goes all the way up to the federal level. But we do have to really educate ourselves in how that process really works and why and how politicians listen to a citizen, which has to be a voter. Uh, Raven in Delmar, Delaware, called to say, I'm 23. I feel like we can't do much politically. Very much want to show my support for people who feel like they're not important right now. Going out in the community is really important. And to the phones here to Katya in Philadelphia. Hey, Katya, hi, and thanks so much for waiting. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, Yeah, so I'm 28, uh, and last year during the elections, I... I'll say I reluctantly voted for Hillary Clinton. I initially was a Bernie Sanders supporter. Mm -hmm. And after uh, the controversy that came out with the emails showing how dismissive the Democratic Party, like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, had been towards Bernie Sanders and his supporters, and how they came up, you know, with the whole Bernie bro thing. And I'm like, I'm anything but a Bernie bro, you know. Uh, I was just very turned off by the party itself. And I immediately, as of June, became an independent. I felt the Democratic Party didn't represent me. Um, But as we went along during the election, I just saw Trump's rhetoric. And the most important issues to me are health care, women's reproductive rights and fair wages. And uh, but as Trump went on, the just the hateful, um, I guess, language that he used when expressing, you know, uh, when talking about undocumented immigrants and Muslims. I'm Latina. I'm the daughter of immigrants. And when he was talking about, uh, you know, Mexicans initially, how they're coming here in the U.S. and they're, uh, what is it, they're rapists and this and thugs and criminals. I mean, most Latinos in this country knew he was talking about all of us, whether or not you're undocumented or a citizen. And little by little, I just felt like I was being personally attacked by Trump and his rhetoric. So um, during the election, I worked to get out the vote with a, a nonprofit in South Philly, and it was my first time working um, in an election. It was a nonpartisan nonprofit, but I, I'm very proud of the work that I did, and I very much am looking forward to continuing uh, to do political work in, in Philadelphia, my community. I know that I at least this is the first time I've worked in an election, but at least prior to this, I was very, very vocal uh, with my friends and my family members explaining why I thought that Bernie Sanders was a better candidate than Hillary Clinton. And everyone in my family, my parents who are newly citizens, my sister, my brother, my my friends, they all voted for Bernie. And I feel like, okay, if I'm able to, if I'm this passionate about my political views and I'm able to explain why, and I I listen to others as well, I'm not going to be dismissive of others' opinions. I feel like I need to do my part to um, ensure that people understand why it's so important to get involved. Katya, one of, one of the things that I want to talk about tonight is the diminishing trust that a lot of Americans feel for institutions, but that I know this is also something that millennials feel. I mean, do you feel like your work with this nonprofit in South Philly is in some ways saying, I can put my faith in changing institutions, or is it more of a... This is where the work gets done, and I don't trust big government around this. I'm not the kind of person that's going to say I don't trust big government. I believe government does a, a, a big job. There's something, I mean, they do 
uh, a big word that's essential in this country. But as far as getting involved and getting our communities involved, local communities, I'm talking about okay. groundwork. I feel that non- local nonprofits are better at doing that, and, especially um, like tight-knit communities like South Philly. Okay. Katya, thank you so much. Derek, would you pick up on that, the, the, this waning trust in institutions that many Americans feel, but that, that you see turn up in some of these surveys around millennials, too? Yeah, absolutely. We Even since we started the Millennial Impact Project uh, eight, nine years ago now, we continue, we have always seen this high interest in issue-based environments that where the millennial lives, work, and plays within the five, you know, 10, 50-mile radius where they can feel they can make real change. Now, I think it's really important that those organizations that recruit millennials to educate them on how that can be involved in the political process as well. And one thing that we'll continue to see uh, last year, and even in this in this further research that we did after the election too, is is that turning to those organizations now as an opportunity to create change, because maybe their vote didn't necessarily do that, um, but now there is this opportunity to participate, maybe in a different and unique way. But it is issue focused, not necessarily you know, big brand nonprofit. It's those local where I live, where I work, where I can feel potential change happening. Okay. We we had a call here from Brandon. I think he just had to drop off. But Kay, he said, and and actually, Derek, he's in Indiana. Uh, it's important for millennials to get into political offices. office. He says, I'm from a small community. If you're a Democrat like me, you have little chance to affect anything. More of us in the Midwest need to step up care, contribute, so we have even more numbers in the Midwest. But, but Kay, I think, again, we saw that uh, very few – now, I, I know opinions can change, you know, as, as you get into your late 20s and 30s, but very few thought that running for political office was a path that they would take. Yeah, and you know, a couple of things. So one is that we are starting to see a really um, a up, upward trend in young people starting to really consider running for office. And when you talk to these people, it's interesting to actually hear that if Donald Trump can do it, I can too. So in some <laughs> ways, he democratized the <laughs> idea of running for an office. There are also a huge number of young people who are starting to find pathways, pipeline projects and mentoring project where young people are really welcomed into the political office, getting the support that they need so they can run for the office. I think creating those pathways and actually supporting young people that are really diverse in their backgrounds as well as ideologies can really excite some young people. If you've just gotten in on Indivisible tonight, we're talking about how this polarization, which is what actually Indivisible is all about, uh, how it affects millennials. And, And we're taking note of the fact that uh, this is the largest generation in the country, the millennial generation, somewhere around 35 and under. By 2020, the largest generation of eligible voters. So what they think and do about politics is really important. So if you're just getting in here, I'm asking if you're 35 and under, you voted for President Trump, do you plan to stay politically involved? There's some research that says that some of these younger Trump voters are pulling away. What would it take to keep you involved? And if you're 35 and under and you supported Secretary Clinton 
Is your political involvement really more about resisting the current administration or are you involved in other causes? 844-745-8255. And I'm on Twitter at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use the hashtag Indivisible Radio to the phones to Roger uh, outside of Philadelphia. Hi, Roger. Hey, how's it going? Going good. What are you thinking about tonight? Uh, well, first of all, I want to say I agree wholeheartedly with the last caller and uh, some of the comments tossed around there. I mean, I think that, you know, so myself, I was an absolute uh, Bernie supporter from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I didn't vote for Trump, and I, I, I supported Clinton because of a, a large part because she, you know, really understood some of my uh, beliefs. Now, when I think about uh, how millennials are approaching this um, kind of polarization, I, I think it's crucial that we take into consideration, um, you know, we're not done yet. The job's not done, and we have a lot of work to do. You know, you, you, I, I understood one of the callers talking about the plight about, about blue-collar workers, and I get that. But there are a lot, and I mean a lot of other groups of people that are also suffering. Think about the Native Americans and, um, you know, the people a part of the, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Think about the college students burdened by student loans. Um, think about African Americans and the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't end. And I Good come point. from a family where if you're more fortunate, um, you build a longer table. You don't build a, a taller wall. And... Um, I really think that we need to bridge the gap first by having a conversation with each other. All right. Roger, thanks so much for the call. Greta says on Twitter, as a millennial, I haven't seen the government create real change. Gridlock is too common. This can be incredibly disheartening. Taylor says, I'm 33 years old. I'm disgusted with millennials for the apathy of politics and ignorance. Uh, And let's see. John says, I'm disenchanted with the two private organizations that give us one person to vote for, let's get ranked choice voting and toss the Electoral College. Um, one of the things I want to talk about here on the other side of just a, a quick uh, break here is I want to talk about the paralysis that happened after President Obama, then candidate Obama, really activated a lot of young voters, got to Washington, had a difficult time really getting a lot done, and uh, how disappointing that was to a lot of the young activists who worked really hard to get him elected. So we're continuing our conversation here on Indivisible tonight as we talk about polarization and millennials, 35 and under. Love to hear what you have to say about this. 844-745-8255. Find me on Twitter at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use that hashtag Indivisible Radio and, and stay with us. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. 
I'm Carrie Miller, Indivisible, coming to you tonight from Minnesota Public Radio. Kay Kawashima Ginsburg is with us. She's director of the Center for Research on Civic Learning and Engagement at Tufts. And Derek Feldman is with us, the creator of the Millennial Impact Project. And we are talking about where millennials come in on this polarization that we're experiencing that and that we're talking about here on Indivisible for the first 100 days of the Trump administration. Want to go? I, I want to come to UK first on this. For some of our older millennials who might have been active to help elect President Obama and then saw what happened. Now, not that he didn't get things done on his agenda. He did. But they also saw him come up against a lot of political gridlock. What, what effect do you think that had? You know, there's been in some ways two effects. For one, is that true? A lot of the millennials who were really mobilized and excited, ready to engage, simply didn't find a follow-up opportunity, so to say. Mm -hmm. So there was a huge drop in engagement in midterm and then in 2012. At the same time, there was a cohort of young people who became really, really active in the first presidential campaign of Barack Obama and stayed really engaged as activists, organizers, nonprofit leaders. They are leading a lot of the sectors today, and that impact should not be overlooked. Derek, what would you say about that? Yeah, I completely agree with Kay. I mean, we, we've seen from the last eight years of our studies the consistent and increase involvement in the nonprofit sector and nonprofit leadership. And although it's still fairly small, I think uh, one of the statistics is less than 15 percent of millennials work in government. It increased during that time, too, as well. So whether or not somebody was necessarily active politically or ran for office, we did see them get involved in government in different ways uh, as well. So Although, yes, uh, Kay is completely correct, is similar to what we've seen during that there wasn't necessarily something immediate. We did see them move towards other options and opportunities. Call here from Keaton in Kansas City, Missouri. Hi, Keaton. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Sure. What are you thinking about? Well, um, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, I'm 23. I had friends who were voting for the first time this time around, and uh, I voted for Hillary. But, um, you know, some of them were just, you know, guys who were in college and they were just like, I'm, I'm going to vote for Trump because I think it's funny. I, I think it's funny the way that he is. And that just kind of disgusted me. I, you know, I heard that from multiple people just saying, well, my vote doesn't matter. So I'm just going to do it for what's going to make me laugh, you know. And, and, and seeing the outcome of this election, Keaton, what, what's the answer back to the friends that say my vote, vote doesn't matter? I mean, do you think they still believe uh, that? I, you know, I think some of them might believe that. And with the way the popular vote went, I almost felt like that for a little while. But at the same time, you have to know that your vote matters if it's just for the morality of it. it it's a big deal to put your vote in because it, it does make a difference somewhere. Really good to have the call. Glad you caught the show. Uh, Tenosa in Chicago. Hey, hi. How's it going? Going well. Tell me what you're thinking about tonight. Yeah, no, I just uh, more along the lines of, you know, uh, what how we how millennials have been involved, you know, prior to uh, the election for myself personally. Um, I did a lot of issue based nonprofit um, work, and that was kind of what I saw as like my way to make a difference. And I think given the election and, and the results, I'm a Democrat. Um, 
it's really kind of spurred me to wanting to, you know, be more involved politically and, 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 you know, have a voice in the process. I, I think that, you know, part of the, what you continuously hear from the other side is that, that, you know, we are the, the elitist class and, and, uh, and we talk down to them pretentious, right? You hear one of the other um, callers say that same thing. And I, I think that's important that, if that's something that they feel, then we as a party need to make sure that we rectify that. We need to make sure that we're um, connecting that gap. And I think millennials are in a unique position to do that. You know, we, we, we have such connections with all different types of people, demographics and all that good stuff. I think we have a good opportunity to reach out and bridge that gap and, and, you know, really make that message so that it's more inclusive. This is a great point. No, some, and I'm really glad you brought it up because, Derek, I wanted to come to you on this. What we also know about millennials are that they are more diverse, more secular, better educated than older generations, and more than 40 percent of them are non-white. And I, I, hearing what Nosa said, I wonder, do the parties, are the parties evolving quickly enough to do the kind of outreach that Nosa was just describing and, and you know, that reaches this, this demography that I'm talking about? If they aren't, they should. <laughs> because, again, by 2020, as we were talking about the stats, it's going to be a very important electorate. And uh, what's what's also very key here to try and understand is, you know, when you have a size of a demographic and a generation this way, mm-hmm. that not only influences political, but influences consumer sectors as well. I mean, when you look at consumer discretionary spending with the millennial generation, it's pretty high. And when you look at um, how many of them are going into college systems and, and so forth, I mean, this generation has a lot of things to offer, but not only a lot of influences outside it of politics that indirectly affect politics in some way, shape, or form. Tell me a little bit more about that. I want to make sure I understand the connection you're making, Derek. Yeah. So, for instance, you know, policies that come out of for higher education, whether it's about student loans and everything else, are going to directly affect this generation who, again, as you mentioned, this generation is the most highly educated uh, as well. So uh, the higher education system in and of itself is something of an issue, as we saw uh, definitely during the election. And now we're going to see that potentially be an issue going forward. It isn't necessarily uh, an economy issue uh, that they might vote on right now, but it definitely is something that will affect them in the future as well. Sam says uh, from Philly on Twitter, as a millennial, I've received a lot of flack from older generations, specifically that it's our fault. Why? (laughs) He asks. And uh, Tanya says from uh, North Carolina, I'm a millennial and I've got very involved. And one of the things that I'm fighting in North Carolina is gerrymandering, which most don't know. Um, Kay, what what would you say about this idea that um, even if even if you're not running for political office, there's somebody who's involved in the process itself, and you know, I mean that that makes a huge difference. But again, that's a long term investment in an issue like gerrymandering. That's right, and I think you know, going back to the issue of whether the Democratic Party and Republican Party are really responding to the changing demographics and the needs of young people today, mm-hmm. it goes back to that. Instead of just engaging young people as voters who can help a party or help a candidate, I would really like to challenge the parties to see them as investment. 
who can really have a voice and feel effective by becoming involved in politics. And gerrymandering is one of those issues. When young people start to see their voices being heard, whether it's through activism or through their votes, they will continue to participate. And that's when the trust and connection to the parties can be restored. But I think as long as we continue to see young people as convenient voters who can be mobilized when they're needed, such as presidential election, to reflect some of the older people's comment that why didn't you um, help us win, for example, you know, it's, it's really a mistake to see young people that way. Although, I mean, Kay, you saw, saw the numbers. Derek, you saw the numbers. And, and Derek, we talked about how voter registration was dropping off the closer we got to the election. I mean, what happens with, you know, these younger voters who hold a lot of potential, could, could hold a lot of clout, Kay, but don't end up showing up, which is really where it's at on Election Day? Well, yeah. to Kay's... Oh, yeah, go ahead, Kay. Either one. Derek, go ahead, and, and go then ahead, we'll come Derek. back to Kay. Yeah, you know, even though we saw voter interest dropping considerably, it rose right after. So um, we saw very similar things to what we, what we saw from Kay. And so I think at the end, there was this ultimate split decision. I, I think that there's very... Th- th- that we have to redefine what it means to be politically involved yeah. again. Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm worried that... And this goes to Kay's point that we look at one asset of the individual, which is their vote, to say, if you don't do that for us, then sorry, we're not interested. When there are so many other assets that every voter has, regardless of age, their voice, their talent, their skill, their organizing and their network, especially with millennials, that should be used and tapped. It's like every nonprofit going to have millennial and saying, well, if you don't give money, we don't care. <laughs> and that's exactly the, the thing that we need to move away from and start treating our voters and our potential voters as assets for our campaigns uh, beyond just the vote. So, Derek, this is really interesting because, I mean, what you're what you're essentially describing is the traditional political machines, uh, you know, bumping up against this change that is coming in the way that millennials see their contributions to the social good, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if we are going to be, and it's it's interesting, we even had to change the way in which that we ask questions around how did you get involved in an issue? We no longer even say, did you get involved in a nonprofit organization? Because you don't necessarily need to be a nonprofit to stand up for something today. And so there, there has been changes in our society and culture, especially with this generation. And, you know, we watch somebody in our studies sit there and who wasn't interested in getting involved, shared their voice and opinion in Facebook, found like-minded individuals, started the process of organizing from there, mm-hmm. moved on to then go to becoming a small grassroots organizer, becoming and going through the different variable steps of actions to premium actions to even bigger actions for the social issue that were way beyond just, you know what, did we get their vote? Let's, let's give them a call and find out. Uh, Anna and Shakopee called to say, I'm 28. It's hard to get involved because I really can't connect with any one political party. I feel passionate about issues, but I'm really disappointed by the candidates and the parties that are available to me to vote for. Kay, would you weigh in on and follow up on what Derek was saying there? 
Yeah, and I think, you know, so to respond to Carla's comment, I would recommend looking to the local and state representatives in your area. And I think it's also that fact that electoral systems have been really difficult for young people to continue to participate. It's not been responsive to the people that move often, such as millennials who are starting to get new jobs or moving around for schools. And, you know, this came up in the primary voting period, too. If your state requires that you're registered with a major party in order to cast a ballot in primaries, that sends a certain message about whether you should be politically involved in there or not. So I think there's a lot that, you know, both the parties can do, the system reforms can change in regards to how young people start to see how they can participate and who is welcome. Kevin uh, called from Connecticut. He says, I'm 30. I voted in every single election since I was 18. This election blew my mind. I voted for Trump because he said things that people didn't like versus telling lies. I wanted to see change for better or worse. Trump is different uh, to Ben in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for waiting. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. So, you know, it, it, this has been a, an interesting topic. And, uh, you know, I, I'm i 30 as well, just as the, the last caller. And, you know, I when I was in college, and I also have voted in every election I've had the opportunity to, I was uh, very active um, from the Obama standpoint, right? And as we moved into this election, I felt very disengaged. And, you know, I... I was borderline, I was really torn between becoming a first-time Republican voter. Mm-hmm. Um, I still had some, some issues from a social perspective, but from a financial perspective, that was the, the economic perspective is what I was looking at. And unfortunately, the Republicans selected a candidate that I could not, could not just support. I could not do it. And at the same time, I wasn't satisfied with the Democratic candidate either. So, you know, I think we're at this point where both parties really need to focus on what what is it going to take to captivate those of us in the millennial generation and what changes need to be made so that we can really make an impact in this country. Ben, thanks very much. Uh, Good to hear from you in in Indiana. You know, I was making notes there, Derek, as Ben was talking and thinking, what what would the administration have to do to re-engage some of these millennial voters who, again, voted for Donald Trump, but then then seem to have pulled back? I mean, do you do you yet? It's early days. I know. Do you yet see some outreach? This is even something that President Obama had a hard time activating in the midterm elections. Yeah, I, I think that there is opportunity, of course. And, and this is something that might be a little challenging with the administration currently that may, that the Obama administration did a little bit of is, you know, working through different partners and nonprofits and, and trying to get individuals involved uh, in certain different departments and, and so forth. I think that there's also uh, a really good opportunity for him to talk directly to the millennial who's out there, especially his, his voters that, that supported him. And to say, you know, here are some clear paths for you to get involved in the process in general. And even those who didn't support me, you know, here is other alternatives or other options too as well. Now, that's, a, that's maybe optimistic um, to be viewed that way. But I, but I think that anybody who's in that position uh, owes it to their voters to say, here's the next opportunity 
for you to get involved. And no matter if it's Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or whoever will be the candidates in 2020 and going forward, I think it's really, really key from history that we learn that let's start not just looking at the election as the end point, but yet one of the midway points to maintaining that civic participation that Kay is talking about and what the things that they're finding. I mean, let's start to curb that right now. Good point. I want to try to get one more caller in here to Anna in Columbus, Ohio. Hi, Anna. What's your experience been since the election? Hi. Yeah, so I voted for Hillary. I'm a Democrat. And um, I was having a really rough week of news app alerts coming in <laughs> like crazy. And I just felt like I needed to do something. I didn't know what I could do. I'm just kind of a normally active um, slash inactive person. And um, so I decided on a Friday night, all the offices were closed. I decided to call my senators and representatives, and I I left them all messages on their voicemails and just explained that I was really concerned about what was going on uh, in the White House and the decisions that Trump um, was making. And I wanted to know what they were going to do, what what their plans were, and I asked for a call back. And I was not expecting any calls back. Um, But in the middle of the week, uh, a couple days later, um, I got a call from an actual senator. She she called me. um, She's a Republican. And um, she asked me, you know, what I thought she should do. And I was really caught off guard. I didn't know exactly what to say on the spot. um, So I kind of fumbled through it. But um, I was just so surprised that I got a call back. Well, I mean, I I think that's a sign that for for citizens to reach out and to, you know, put that kind of time into calling a politician's office. See, people think they will not be heard. You will be heard. I mean, that's the kind of outreach that politicians want and need. So, Anna, good for you. Derek, thank you so much. Really good to have you on the show. Kay, really a pleasure. Thanks for sharing the research with us. Good to have you both. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just want to mention here that we understand that there were some technical problems tonight with the transmission of the program. I am so glad you stayed with us and you called in with this excellent insight. Thank you so much. We We love hearing from uh, millennials, 35 and under. You can continue to tweet me. I want to know what you think. It's at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, M-P-R. Use the hashtag Indivisible Radio and listen to Indivisible on Monday through Thursday. If you like the Indivisible podcast, rate and review it and tell your friends. And thanks for listening.